Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. I'm Stefan Dirksen, for those that don't know me here. Uh, last week we started uh, a new series, and I'm not totally sure how long it's going to go. I, I know for sure we're going to go another two after this, um, just based on how prep went this week. But uh, before we get into this week's topic, I just wanted to do a quick recap of, um, of last week. Uh, because last week we were kind of really wanting to define what is the church. So if you remember, we, we talked about the word ecclesia, and the church was what? So what is the church? Gathering. Yes, absolutely. So say, we are the church. We are the church. This gathering here, we are the church. So we are the church. And that was important because we were trying to break away from that idea. Not that, I mean, most people still got it right in here, but that idea that the church is just a building and the building can be closed, which would mean the church would be closed. Um, You can't close the gatherings unless we choose not to gather, right? Because we can close a building, but this building is a tool. Mind you, it's a very wonderful tool. Wouldn't you agree? It's wonderful to have these buildings, especially in Manitoba, uh, where things get really cold in the winter. We can't necessarily meet outside for more than two or three months of the year. Um, so we really appreciate our heated buildings. And the, the size, it's, it's really afforded us to be able to do much ministry. There has been a lot of ministry that has been done inside this building. But the building is a tool. It's a tool. And over time, the tools change. Tools can change, and now we have online tools, and we have different kinds of tools, and we have different, you know, um, we have tools that people use for discipleship and all that kind of stuff, and they're different. They, they change over time, but the point is the church doesn't change. The church is still the gathering, Ecclesia. It's the gathering of the called out ones, the people of God. Uh, so that's what that is, right? Um, we looked at, so the church can't get shut down by government measures. It can't. Um, All throughout church history, we've seen that, I mean, there's been nations that actually try to stamp out the church, and you can't stop the people of God from meeting. They find creative ways to meet, and I would like to think that if we ever lost our building permanently, we would do the same thing. We would continue to meet. We'd find new ways, and we'd find new ways, whether we do it, you know, online in cells and kind of meet that way. Now we have technology, and we meet in small pockets and connect together, whatever. I just think no matter what happens, uh, this church that we're going to continue meeting, and I'm, I believe in that lots. Uh, so then we looked at now the purpose, one of the purposes that God has for the church was the church was his grand plan to reveal this mystery. I was reading it again in Matthew 13, 35 again, that, that he was speaking to them in parables about all these things that were hidden throughout all the ages. So he was telling them now these things that were hidden throughout all the ages. Jesus came here, the veil was torn. Right now, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We all have the Holy Spirit. And we now are the vessels, the church. The the ecclesia are the vessels to display that glory onto the earth. And that's pretty incredible, right? So we talked about adoption. That was one of the things that was new, adoption for all people. We can all be part of the family of God, as well as forgiveness and cleansing of sin, uh, because Jesus paid a once and for all sacrifice that, that canceled the sacrificial system. And of course, like I mentioned already, the temple of the Holy Spirit. We have the Spirit of God living inside of you. By the way, if you ever need to be encouraged, just look up some of the verses that talk about Christ and you, the hope of glory, and, the, and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Meditate on that. Any chance you get when you're, when you're down or stressed or worried, Take time just to sit and meditate on here. And sometimes it's good to read big chunks. Other times it's good to go to a verse and just sit on it and chew it and meditate on it. Uh, because I think some of the truths that we even talked about last week 
are life-changing if we will allow them to change our lives. So let's pray, and then we'll talk about what we're going to get into this week. Lord, we are your church. And as such, Lord, we realize you, you saved us for more than just eternity. You saved us for, for now. There's actually a plan that you have for us being here on this earth. And Lord, we are grateful that you would call us and allow us to be a part of that plan. We recognize and we know that you know that we are imperfect people at the best of times and we sin and we make mistakes. And yet by grace, we are saved. And yet by grace, we have been invited into your family. What an incredible privilege and honor that is. So today, Lord, as we dive into week two of the church, we want to do you honor and we want to receive whatever it is that you have for us this morning. So would you speak to our hearts? Would you minister to us? Would you build us up? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this week I'm going to start by just asking uh, a question. We're going, to, we're going to deal with the idea or the question of uh, why do we gather? So last week we talked about, you know, what is the church? The church is people. And it's easy then to kind of take that, well, it's people, it's not a building, so coming to the building isn't necessarily important, right? Now, I know, I know none of you think that, but some people might take it there, right? Because it's, there's a truth in that. It's not the building. So now, well, maybe we don't need to meet. We have lots of online options, and I'm not saying those that are watching online, welcome. Uh, we're glad to have online options, and I've been glad when I've been sick or in quarantine, and there's many good reasons why people watch from home, and that's fine. But there is still something about the physical gathering of the body of Christ, and, and, and that's really what we want to talk about today. Is that important? Is it essential for our growing? And again, I don't want to say the online is, is bad. Uh, when I went to Uganda a few years back, it was, the, it was neat because I, in the hotel you have Wi-Fi and then WhatsApp, and I was WhatsApp calling with my wife. And it was wonderful. Like, aren't you glad that we have tools like that? We can be across eight-hour time difference. And we're, we're at other ends of the world, and we're seeing each other and talking to each other. But I'll tell you, it's not the same as being there and giving her a hug and a kiss. It's not the same. It is not the same as us sitting together. And there's something about the gathered. And there's lots of analogies or uh, lots of understanding we can get about the church uh, from looking at that marriage analogy and family analogy. So there's two main ways this week and, and in the coming weeks we're going to talk about the church. Uh, we'll reference the gathered church as well as the scattered church. And what I don't want you to do is this, is say, okay, the gathered, that's us here together, and then the scattered, that's when we go out from here, and then to think that I'm talking about your preference, which one do you want to attend? <laughs> it's not that. It's not a preference. Um, it's just referring to we are still the church when we, when we scatter, in the same way going back to that marriage analogy, uh, I'm still married to my wife when I travel, or when I'm at work and she's not here. Right now she's here, so it's clear that, maybe it's not clear that we're married, but she's sitting over there. We are married. Whether she's here or not, we still are married. And I better act married whether she's here or not. True? So there is something about being married that, that is, I'm married whether we're together or not. And the same is true with the gathered and the scattered church. But we have to be careful to, to understand you aren't the church at all if you never gather. In the same way that with marriage, you actually have to have, marriage is a, is a physical union of togetherness. Right? It's a physical union of togetherness, that, that, and that's what it represents. Uh, together, the two have become one. We are together, even now when we are apart. So in the same way, the church, the gathering is absolutely essential for us to bear fruit as we scatter. Um, so that's very important. 
there's this idea that's kind of came out, I think it's 2002, there was a book that was written. I haven't actually read it myself, but I know it gained popularity and then, you know, things are telephone and it changes what it originally said. Anyhow, the idea was the churchless faith. The idea was the churchless faith. So what do we mean by the churchless faith? And that is, you know, if you're a believer, you don't need the church. You don't need the church. The church is full of what? Broken people. Churches disappoint you. You might have been hurt in the church. Maybe you've been hurt in this church. I know we're going through some difficult things. Maybe you're hurting right now. I get that. And, you, and it might be easy to think churchless faith is sounding good because me and Jesus, that I can do. Right? That's a relationship that can work. And I like that. And maybe we don't actually need the messes of the church. Maybe I can just spend time with Jesus alone and then I can, you know, go out and be a good person. And that's all the church that I need. So can church be done solo is the question. I've had this verse uh, quoted to me. Can we be the church without gathering? That's the question. But here, this verse, uh, John 2, 27. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And now listen to what it says here. And you have, what does that say? No need that anyone should teach you. Hmm. But as the anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as you've been taught, abide in him. Ha! There we go. You don't even need to be here right now. Right? And people, I've, I've, I've seen people, I've had, I've been asked about this particular verse. Well, it says here, we don't actually need anyone else to teach us. All we need is the Holy Spirit. And I want to caution against taking isolated verses out of Scripture and building a doctrinal, you know, doctrine in your life that, that is a guiding principle uh, based on one verse, especially when you're not taking the whole chapter and the whole context into, into your understanding. This is what I would encourage. When you find one verse like that, grab your Bible and read the verses that are before and after. And then take a step back even further and read the whole book and get the understanding for who the book was written to and why it was written and what the whole thing was about. And then take a step back further and study the books that are next to it and beside it on either side. And then take a step back and read the whole thing from front to back. And study it and study it and study it. And you'll find there's actually very clear, consistent messaging throughout. And you will not find any kind of doctrine in here that says the gathering of God's people is unimportant, not in the Old or New Testament. And teaching what he's talking about here, you get a clue if I go to the verse before. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. He was talking about, and, and before this, a few verses before, he said, many antichrists have come into the world to lead people astray, and he's warning against that. And what he's saying is the antichrist message is that you don't need Jesus for salvation. So they were offering a new method for salvation whether it be this or that, and he's saying, you don't need a teacher to teach you a new way to salvation. You've already been taught the way of salvation. He's not saying you don't need teachers to expand on and help you apply the truth of the good news. No, he's not saying that absolutely not. He's saying you don't need a new way. You have that way. But clearly, we need teachers. Uh, clearly, we need each other in order to be built up. That is a clear theme in Scripture. So I want to give you a picture to help you really understand this, like the church, what a church is without a gathering. Uh, imagine a sports team. We're going to use the New England Patriots. Don't say anything. Hmm? New England Patriots. We'll use the greatest team in sports history of any sport. Nip. I got the mic. I got the mic. Quiet. 
just for the sake of the picture, just, just bear with me, even those that disagree strongly, okay? Just bear with me on the analogy. 20 years of dominating success, smashing records, beautiful. And the debate that's been raging for the last two decades is, who's the, who's the mastermind? Is it Bill Belichick or is it Tom Brady? And it's going back and forth. I mean, who is it? Is it the quarterback or is it the coach? And everyone seems to have their opinion on who is responsible for their dynasty, their great levels of success, and their many championships and records that will never probably be broken or touched. Uh, who is responsible? Good question. Well, maybe you're on the Bill Belichick side. I think I'd lean on that side. I think he's a brilliant coach. So maybe you're on that side. So imagine now, I mean, Bill Belichick, obviously if he's responsible for the success, he's all the talent. I imagine he could show up today when they play at seven. He could show up by himself without a team. What are you thinking? Will he, will he demonstrate his brilliance if he shows up and tries to win the game without his players? The answer is no. <laughs> Help me out here. I love engagement, right? The answer is no. Okay, that's a fool. I mean, that's an absurd example. That's why you didn't even want to answer it. You're like, this is, that's, that's absurd. Of course, a coach needs players in order to win. Okay, fine. Then we have Bill Belichick. We won't use him. What if we use Tom Brady? What if he went onto the field alone? I mean, many times it's been said he, he carried the team on, the, on, the, on his back. So, I mean, he's responsible. So, could he play by himself? You don't need 11 players, you just need one? No. And I could take that example further, but I think you're getting the, the picture of what I'm trying to say. You could say, well, Edelman, Gronk, so you had that slot receiver and the tight end and the quarterback, doesn't matter what they are if you don't know. But those three together, they have won many games. But you take away the other set or sort of the other eight players on that team, and I bet you they don't even win a single game. They would be overwhelmed by the sheer numbers they faced. And yet, the church is like a team. It's a body. It's a body, and each one of us are individual members of it, and we have a role to play. And you might say, yeah, but I'm not the quarterback, so my role isn't important. Every one of those 11 guys that go on the field is absolutely critical for them to win the game. And in the same way, that, that is the church. If we don't have the gathering, we're not going to win games. And you might say, well, what game are we playing? We're playing the game that is going to span for all eternity, the game where people's lives are at stake. Winning or losing, leaving it up to chance, should not be an option for us. Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are, say this with me, members of one another. We are members of one another. Meaning, you are not your own. Scripture says you were bought with a high price. Jesus bought you with a high price. But it also says you became members of a larger family. We are members of each other. Meaning me being here and me functioning as I'm supposed to function is not just about me and Jesus. I actually owe myself to you. And you to me. We are supposed to play together. Romans 12.5, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, not our own. The churchless faith idea, I believe, was born in our Western individualistic mindset. The idea, and I understand, by the way, don't hear me saying, well, 
you know, you're thinking in your head, well, you don't know what I went through in a church. I have heard horrific stories. Horrific stories that would make our current struggles seem small and insignificant, literally. Horrific things that people have gone through in the church, and I understand that. And you might say, I will not go there. I have been hurt so deeply and offended so badly. I understand that I'm not trying to minimize your pain, but I would urge you, please do not give up on the church. It's part of Jesus' plan. It's part of Jesus' plan, but bring that hurt to him and let him speak into that. So it is important, though. Can we be the church without gathering? And the answer to that is, if the church never gathers, it is not the church. Ecclesia means gathering. The called out ones gathering together, coming together. We cannot be the church without gathering. So, of course, am I saying now, you might say, well, all we need is a personal relationship with Jesus. Two separate things. I am not implying now that we don't grow our personal relationship with Jesus, that it's all about the gathering. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying don't swing to either end of the pendulum. It's both. We need the individual relationship with Jesus. I need to be feeding on the word myself. I was there this morning again and feeding in Matthew, Matthew 13. I referenced it. I was just reading this morning. Right? And I was feeding on there, and then I was in memorization, and I was praying, and I was, I mean, I was doing my work, personal work, and then some of it was confirming what I'm teaching here, and others he was ministering to me and doing a little bit of correction too. But we need that, absolutely yes. But that does not replace this. There are reasons for this, and we talked about one of those last week, and that was we are displaying the mystery of God in the heavenly realms. Remember it said that in Ephesians 3? God chose imperfect people to become his body, that we would be the vessels through which he would display his glory and his grand plan throughout all the heavenly realms and the rulers and authorities there. And I think that's pretty incredible. But today we're going to look at another purpose. And next week then we're going to start diving into what is the church supposed to do? Like when we gather, what are the functions that need to be happening here for us to be a healthy church? I think those are good questions to, to answer and to look at together. And we're going to get into that. But Before we get there, it's just really important to understand and establish why this gathering is so important. Why we can't can't let go of the gathering. We talked about it last week a bit, and now this week I'll look at one more main point, and that is as follows here. The church is Jesus' testimony to the world. The church is Jesus' testimony to the world. I Now, think about this, because I know this is where we get stuck maybe a little bit, or maybe you don't. But we think, isn't the church there just for believers? I mean, we understand there's an evangelical, evangelistic kind of twist to it, of course, because obviously unbelievers might come in, or you might invite an unbeliever here, and so we know that the church has to have room for unbelievers so that we can grow, yeah, so we get that, but we would still think of the church as primarily here for us, those that are already part of the body of Christ, and there's a lot of truth in that. There's a lot of truth that what's happening inside these walls right now is mostly of benefit to believers, not the surrounding world. Yet Jesus and Scripture seem to to instruct us and tell us that actually the church itself, though, is a symbol that acts like a testimony to all the rest of the world. And that's a critical point that we can't miss because it's so easy. Remember, I just said the churchless faith comes out of an individualistic kind of Western mindset. Well, if we think of church just in terms of me and Jesus and what I get out of it, we'll miss the point and we might not realize that we're actually protecting something greater and that is the testimony of Jesus Christ. We actually see this uh, in, in uh, John 17. I'll go there. We'll go there together. Yeah. 
I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Okay, so right here, John 17, we've talked about this before. Uh, John 17, it's like almost, like almost the whole chapter is Jesus praying. And it's, it's, a, it's an amazing prayer. I would encourage you to memorize it or at least go read it. But this prayer, he was praying for all of those who currently believed in the household of faith and all of those that were to come. Meaning this is one of the only recorded prayers where he is praying for us. And so I love that. And I've, I've gone back here many times to take a look at then what is important. Like if Jesus is praying for me, we know he's praying for us, it says so in scripture, but when we're, this is one of the only times we actually see what he's praying. What is he praying for me? And again and again, what, one of the things he, he says multiple times in here is I pray that they would have oneness as we have oneness. That the oneness the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have up here, that, that those that would follow in the household of faith, that they would experience that same oneness. The glory that you have given me, it says here, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. There he says it again. And I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. We are a testimony. He wants our oneness. Our oneness and our unity that we share here together becomes a testimony to the dying world, to the unbelievers, that Jesus, number one, is who he says he is, that he is God, and it testifies of his great love towards them. So what is, what is the testimony that our lives are sharing with the world around us when they interact with us? I was on Facebook recently. I mean, I've been on Facebook lots recently since the pandemic. I think we all have a larger social media print uh, footprint since then. But I was on there and I've watched all of these debates that, that are on Facebook and, and, um, and on the news, right? I mean, you see them all over the place and there's polarizing opinions for so many things right now, isn't there? And don't tell me what side you're on or any of those things. We don't need to get into that here. The point is you have all of these polarizing debates where you have these people over here that are just going strong for this is the truth and this is what's going on. And then you have the people on the other side saying, no, you're wrong and you don't understand. And everyone seems to have a doctor to support their side and their view and an expert. And I'm not belittling any of that. You're allowed to have opinions, but I will say this. I had a weak believer that I've known for many years. He doesn't attend here, but he's a weaker believer. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be critical of him. He would identify himself that way. And he private messaged me and he said, you know, I'm trying to ask questions online. And maybe that's not the best place to ask questions. Sure. But I'm asking questions of believers and I'm trying to grow and I'm trying to get this thing right. And I want to understand. But he's like, the way Christians are responding to me makes me not even want to be a Christian anymore. That kind of stuff breaks my heart. Is any opinion or debate so important that we would diminish the testimony of who Jesus is? I read a quote just yesterday. I won't say by who because I don't agree with most of the things he says. But this I did. He said, even if your conspiracies are right, which they might be, Jesus is still more important. We're here for actually something bigger than that. And I'm not saying, I'll get into that at the end of the message. We'll talk about how do we respond throughout challenges and how do we keep the unity. We're going to get to that, Okay. 
But for now, I'm not, I'm not saying you can't have opinions. Absolutely, yes. I'm just saying that everything has to be in the context of Jesus is still more important and we are his testimony. We are his testimony. You know, I talked to um, Henry Wynn in Uganda. Uh, six years ago, I think, is when I met him for the very first time. And he's a wonderful brother of mine now. And when I first met him, I knew God had his hand on him. In fact, I even said, I think, I just, I feel like, I told my dad this, I feel like we're going to do ministry together. I had no idea where that was going to go, but there was such a kindred spirit. Like, we meet for the first time halfway around the world, and we just connected. And sure enough, now I meet with him every Thursday, and he's the main guy that I do mentoring with in the, uh, with the Ugandans on that side. And he's a wonderful, wonderful man of God and a wonderful man himself. But um, he said something that made me shudder the first time we met. So we're going through the confession stuff, and I was doing it with him, and we're leading a group, and he was my translator. So we sit down, and we finished our whatever section that was we finished earlier than everyone else. So we were just talking, and he suddenly says something to me, give me 10 minutes alone with your babies, and I'll tell you everything. I'll tell you who you are. I shuddered at the thought of, what would he find out about who I am with spending 10 minutes alone with my kids? What would he find out? What kind of man would he think I am? Because I was saying one thing, right? They were hearing me. You know, you guys have heard me do set freeze, I think, too, all of you. But uh, probably mostly anyways. I mean, he sees that side. But when he met with my followers or my kids, those, the members of my family, what would be my testimony? It was a good question to chew on. Uh, but Henry was on to something. He understood a principle that Jesus was getting at. If you want to know about the, the guy that they're following, just look at the people that are underneath. You'll know lots about that leader. And Jesus is saying the same thing. And that's why he is emphasizing oneness, oneness, oneness. He is praying. He repeats it like four or five times in one, in one chapter, in one prayer. You would think he'd move on to something else in the one prayer that he prays for all of us. And yet he keeps going back to the same thing, that they would have oneness the way we have oneness. He knew it wasn't going to come easy. And yes, of course, there's different kind of testimonies because you might be saying, well, personal testimony, corporate testimony. A personal testimony is powerful. It absolutely is. It tells part of my story. But you know what I often hear, even in church room weekends? Well, that's your story. People aren't necessarily convinced by just my story. But when you see a corporate testimony, that's even more powerful. It confirms and completes the story. And this is something, by the way, we have experienced here for many years. Um, in, in doing level one mentoring on church renewal, uh, one of the questions that I ask pastors when we start, and I've said this here before, but I'll say it again because it needs to be repeated. We cannot forget the importance of this. Um, but I ask them, why are you joining mentor, mentoring? And inside, I'm always hoping that someone says something nice about me, right? Isn't that human of us? Maybe they'll say something nice because I led them for half the weekend and then dad did. And you know, you're, you're holding a little tally, you're tallying the scorecard. I mean, who, how many times does dad get his name mentioned versus me? You know what's sad about that tally? There's almost no ticks on it. Because I discovered very quickly over the years, there's a third category. You. You guys. You're the third category, and you're the reason why most of those pastors signed up. I've been told blatantly to my face, you know what, like, oh, your story is so powerful. You're a good speaker. But I've heard many good stories, many good speakers. They're all over the place. Look it up on YouTube. I mean, you can find all sorts on the internet too. You don't even have to travel anymore to listen to a good speaker. But then they met you guys. 
Then they met you guys and they knew something was different here. And they would say, your church is generous. What do they know about our generosity? Talking to you guys. They'll go and interview different people. They want to meet different people, different like looks, people, the age, all that. They'll go young, they'll go old, our billets. They'll pepper them with questions. And what are they trying to find out? You say a good message, but who are you really? And your testimony over the years has been a positive one. It has brought many people into church renewal, many of the beginning. I mean, now it's kind of, it's growing on its own by word of mouth with churches. There's many other pastors and churches that have now experienced what we did, right? And what we have here, and now it's spreading in that way. But those first bunch of hundreds were there because of your testimony. Your your people pray. They're full of joy. They're generous. You guys fearlessly stand for truth like You talk about sin, but then you give grace. Like there's so much grace. You guys just, then they want what we have. That's what we have. That's been our testimony. But did you know you can lose your testimony? We've never arrived. We haven't arrived. And so I would, I I care so strongly that we continue that in this church. And we continue the things that got us here, and, and I think that's what you guys want as well. But John 13, 34 to 35, uh, I'll just read the 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And this is exactly the point, right? It's the love for one another. We know we're supposed to love our enemies and love our neighbors. But here he's actually talking about loving those in the household of faith. Protect the unity. Protect the unity of the Spirit. What's the unity of the Spirit? Ephesians 4 talks about this. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He's saying, work hard at it, church. It's going to be difficult. That's why we're told again and again, and we're we're reminded. Work hard, bear with one another, forgiving each other, love one another, believe the best in one another, give each other grace, Protect the unity of the Spirit. You might be thinking, what even is the unity of the Spirit? It is what Jesus was referencing in John 17. It is the unity that the triune God has within itself. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit perfectly unified in one. And we have been invited as the people of God into that oneness. And then we have been instructed that we are supposed to demonstrate and testify of who God is by displaying that oneness within our gatherings. And that is exactly what we have done up until now. And I know we're going through a hard year in 2020. And I know it's been difficult. What does that mean? And what about right? And what side? And it's easy to pick a side. And that's what we're going to talk about next. On picking the side of unity and and protecting that unity and saying the testimony of Jesus is the utmost importance. We have a chance even when things are difficult, whether it's from COVID on the outside from government regulations on the outside or if it's from leadership struggles on the inside, we have a chance to show the world the testimony of Jesus, what what is different in the people of God and how they respond compared to those that don't know him. We have that chance. One thing I know for sure, and that is this, um, I mean, if Jesus repeats it like three, four, five times in one prayer, oneness and unity, this is an important part. The enemy knows that. You know one of his chief tools that he uses? Well, he uses offense. That's one. But his other chief tool, and he'll use that for for another purpose and means, and that is he wants to create division. 
He wants division. He wants division in this church, I can guarantee you, from the amount of lives. I mean, last week I talked about how I was dead and now I'm alive. That happened in these walls. The enemy hates that. And I'm not the only testimony in here. You all have testimonies of being dead and being brought back to life. It's a beautiful thing, and I can guarantee you this, that the enemy will work overtime with whatever he has given to work division, because if he can break division, he ruins the testimony. And people see, see, that's what church is about. Right? They've had all that success. That's all. See, there, that shows the true colors. No, you know what our true colors is. We are the redeemed people of God. That is our true colors. We offer love and grace and forgiveness, and we work for unity no matter what happens in our midst. That is who we are. That's our heritage. It is our identity. So with current issues that we've had, whether it's you know, our current leadership challenges or COVID or masks, no masks, don't, don't voice your opinion here, please. <laughs> okay, whether it's you know, regulations with, with building hours or building occupancy and whatever it is, I keep getting asked this question. How should we respond? How are you responding? What should I be saying? How do I do this in the right way? So I thought I would share four things that are kind of guiding principles to me as I navigate struggles. They're my guiding principles and the current ones that we're going through. So these are those four things, protecting the unity of the spirit through challenges. And the first one is this, put the testimony of Jesus Christ above all else. And specifically guard against hurts, offense, and bitterness. Guard against it. There we go. Guard against it. Bitterness is going to try to creep in. And I know that often when we think of bitterness, don't we think of anger? Right? We think of someone who's a raging, bitter, angry, lashing out. But there's a more insidious form that gets Christians. And it's, it's way more powerful, I think, because it seems to snag more people. And that is unresolved hurts, wounds. Wounds. He wants to wound you. Because if he can wound you and you begin responding out of wounds, you will not respond out of love. And if you are not responding out of love, if you are responding out of your hurts, you will not put the testimony of Jesus first. Even if you're trying to, it will always come out warped or different or changed. Love and unity are the primary ways that we put the testimony of Jesus first. And so we need to guard against it. And by the way, you might be saying, yeah, but with what we're going through, I'm hurting. And I'll respond to you, me too. Me too. But let's not let that hurt cause us to divide. Let's bring it to Jesus. Let's share it with each other. Let's unify. Let's pray for each other. Let's love each other. Let's extend grace. And let's fight for that testimony of Jesus above all else. And maybe you're just so hurt, and I understand that because this is now a hurt on top of a hurt, right? You know when you get the compounding effect, then please talk to one of us on staff. Call the care ministry. We're still ministering to people. We're still doing that. Let us pray with you and work through that hurt so that hurt doesn't become your governing principle through life. That's one. Number two, 
Be cautious in picking sides. And by the way, this is not just for our leadership struggles. It's, this is definitely for this. This is what I'm using it for. But it's also for every other debate online and every other debate that's going on. 2020 has given us lots of things to argue about. Lots of ammunition to divide believers, to divide believers against believers. Now, what am I saying with being cautious and picking sides? I'll tell you what I'm not saying first. I am not saying you cannot have an opinion And I'm not saying you cannot share your opinions. I'm not saying that. Absolutely not. But what I am saying is be cautious on picking sides. You know what we do naturally when we pick a side? And naturally we do this. Maybe you've heard the old adage, we judge others by their actions and we judge ourselves by our intentions. Isn't that true? Right? So I might call my friend or I call Ray Yoder and I'm like, Yoder, how come you said you were going to call me and you never called me back? And he says, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, that was, that was wrong. And I'm like, okay, fine, maybe I'll forgive you. But now the next time I'm supposed to call him, I don't call him. And he says, hey, now you didn't call me. But I'm like, oh, yeah, but that's because I was busy. Do you see how that goes? Right? Because I had a reason to not do what I said I was going to do. <laughs> but you didn't. Okay, that right there, we all do naturally. No one has to learn to do that. We just do it. But the thing is, we do it for more than just ourselves. The truth is, and there's lots of research on this too, we do it for those who we deem are in our community group. So when I have a family and people that I love, or a church, and and they're all people that I love within there, I will naturally gloss over the the mistakes, I'll gloss over the errors, the, the problems, and I'll see the good and unify around the good. But as soon as there's two camps, I will start to judge the other quite naturally by their actions. And I won't offer them the same grace. And that's why we need to be cautious and sides. We have to remember on any, of, on any side in any debate, there are good people on both sides. Then we have to remember there are brothers and sisters on both sides. And then even more so, we need to remember there's unbelievers often on both sides. And we have a testimony to show them of who Jesus is. So I know you might be thinking, well, then that, how do you even pick a side? You show grace. That's what you do. Show grace. Offer the same grace that you give to one to another. That's what you do. Right? You give people the freedom to have their own opinions and to think their own thoughts. And you don't have to convince them or belittle them for what they're doing. And that's okay. And you can also proclaim your thoughts because I know sometimes we're so sure. But are we really sure? Are we the author of truth on everything? Maybe grace looks like sometimes instead of holding on to opinion as though it's the Bible itself... Maybe we hold on to that opinion more like this and say, well, this is what I think. But I could be wrong. Do you see the difference in how that sounds? And then we can share our opinions. And I would church, I would urge you to do that as well in in whatever we are facing. This is how we can protect the unity of the Spirit. Show them how we are different. How we are different. We offer grace to all sides. Um, Third, pray more, listen less, or (laughs) listen less. Oops. (laughs) How did I get that wrong? Um, Clearly, I struggle with this one, so I'm going to get a a tattoo, henna tattoo. Um, I won't. Pray more, listen more, talk less. You know what I think we do a lot? Flip that. But then we do talk more, listen less, and pray even less. So let's turn that around. Let's pray more. Let's pray more. Do you know what's amazing about prayer? Well, there's multiple things. We can go and have, we'll have a whole message series in that. But 
One of the things that I love about prayer is obviously that our prayers get answered. Another thing is, as you connect to the God of the universe, he actually begins to change your heart on the issues that you're standing for, and you begin to see people the way he sees them. It changes how you respond. So pray more, listen more. And when you're listening, listen to and try to understand, you know, there's good people on both sides. So let's listen to the other side. Let's listen to people that have a different opinion on things, even things that we're passionate about, and hear them out. Hear where they're coming from. You know what I have found? Most people have good reasons for being where they are in life. Most people have good reasons for believing what they believe in life. And so hear people. It's love. It's empathy. And then talk less. I'm not saying you don't talk ever. I'm just saying talk less. James 1. Right? Let every person, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. All I'm advocating is for that. And uh, when we pray, now, I, I just want to say one thing about the prayer. Grace Fast shared this with me last week, and I thought it was brilliant. She was talking to the prayer ministers on how do you pray, like even with our current leadership challenge. We have Chris and the board and everyone, you know, different, a lot of you guys are just sitting there waiting to see what happens, right? And praying and supporting that way and I appreciate that. And others, they, they feel a leaning more on one side or the other side and I get that and I'm saying let's work towards unity and one of the ways we can do that is when you're praying, pray the same things for all sides and for our church. Pray that we would grow in grace towards one another. Pray that we would grow in understanding, in listening, Pray that we would grow in unity. Pray that the Lord would protect his testimony in every word that comes out and how the proceedings take place. We have good people. Chris is a, he's, oh, my brother is an amazing guy. He's an amazing guy, loves Jesus. You know what, the board, they are amazing men of God as well. And they love Jesus. And you might say, well, then why, and then why, and then why? I can't give you all the whys. Well, we are where we are. But I can say, you have people that love Jesus. They're, they're praying, they're listening. Now they have a third party that they're going to help them kind of figure this out. You might say, why the third party? Because a lot is at stake. When we're trying to protect the unity of the Spirit, when we're trying to protect the testimony of our church, there is much at stake. So we're trying to not rush this and get it wrong. We're trying to get it right. So please continue to pray. And lastly here, so this is not just for that situation. Remember, this is also mask, no mask all that stuff when you're going in. Remember everywhere you go, before you go and educate someone, remember first that you want to educate them in who Jesus is. So even if you want to share your opinion afterwards, make sure, and this is kind of a goal that I have, when someone leaves me and they're talking about this side or that side, does their heart feel warm towards Jesus? Or do they, do they feel more bitter and judgmental towards one side or the other? Or do they feel more compassion for both sides? That's my goal, because Jesus gives all of us compassion and grace and mercy, and I want to model that to people that are around me. So my last point here, guard your heart. This is, I made it personal. My response tells me more about me than my circumstances, and I'll end on this one here. We can never lose sight of this truth. In any circumstance, my response in anything tells me far more about me than what I'm going through. Right? And I, I said this at the prayer summit a few weeks ago, but I want to repeat it here because it's, it's a guiding principle for me. When I see anger coming out of my heart, that needs to get addressed internally. That's because that's inside. And I get it. With some of the things that are coming out, people are hurting, and I totally understand that that's hard. Let us help you walk through it. 
But human nature, when you're hurting, when you're upset, when you're down, when you're angry, our human nature says, I want to point fingers and blame everyone else outside. And yet we have Matthew that tells us, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's that orange juice analogy, right? If the orange juice comes out of a cup, it's because orange juice is inside. Jesus says, first clean the inside of the cup, that the outside may be clean. And so in our responses, that's what I would challenge us on when we're going from here, to even look back responses as you're getting into debates. It's okay to debate, especially in friendship circles. And, but be careful when you're out there, scattered church. Be careful when you're in here and we're loving each other, that we are protecting the unity of the Spirit and we are protecting the testimony of Jesus Christ. We're going to sing the last song together, and then I want to pray for you, but... I want to just ask you, even right now, to allow the Holy Spirit, we're just going to give him a moment uh, to speak to you, and then we'll, we'll sing together. But maybe just bow your heads for a moment. Lord, in all of this, 2020, Lord, has been so difficult, and it's been stressful. It's been, sometimes we've been anxious, Sometimes we've been angry, angry at this person or that person. We've been hurt, angry at restrictions or angry at regulations, angry at how conflict is being handled. We're hurt because we don't know always what's going on. Today, Lord, we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you administer to our hearts because we are just simple, broken human beings. We don't have lots to offer. But you said, Lord, Christ in us, the hope of glory. So we are trusting that you in us can enable us and empower us to lift up your name wherever we go and even to deal with these big feelings on the inside. So Holy Spirit, would you minister to us now, even now as we speak, would you begin speaking into our hurts, speaking into our anxieties, our fears, our anger, and with your truth, would you set us free? Thanks again for joining us for our weekend message. If you have any needs or prayer requests, please give us a call at 204-326-9020 or email prayer at myselfland.com. Once again, our phone number is 204-326-9020 and the email address is prayer at myselfland.com. 